This episode is brought to you by Pepsi Wild Cherry. Pepsi Wild Cherry is bursting with delicious cherry flavor and a sweet, crisp taste that gives you more to go wild for. Getting wild may look different these days, but whether it's opting for a solo Friday binge watch or a big night out, everyone can indulge in their wild side with Pepsi Wild Cherry, also available in Zero Sugar. So grab a Pepsi Wild Cherry and get wild. With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Judy was boring. Hello. Then Judy discovered Jumbacasino.com. It's my little escape. Now Judy's the life of the party. Oh, baby, mama's bringing home the bacon. Whoa, take it easy, Judy. The Chumba life is for everybody. So go to ChumbaCasino.com and play over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Hi, this is Eric Paulson, and you're listening to Martial Arts Chat Podcast. Minus flat on the canvas. We are ready to rock and roll. Second round of action. There is a cut on minus. Martial arts chat. My man B-Hop got knocked up, dropped out the ring last night. I need a little judo baby. I need me a little judo baby. And let's do it, Ron. Let's see what they'll do. That's got face for me, dude. Martial arts chat. Hello, I'm John Boy McElroy and welcome to the Martial Arts Chat Podcast. On this episode, before we begin, a shout out to our sponsors, A1 Fight Gear. A1 Fight Gear use the latest cutting edge boxing gloves for professional and amateur fighters, gym enthusiasts and kickboxers. Local and national gyms in the UK, do yourselves a favour, go to a1fightgear.com. And if you're wanting to get back into shape, stay in shape or keep trimming the fat off, then you need to go to beastgear.co.uk, use the coupon code MARTIALARTSCHAT and you can save 15% off your purchases. They've got core sliders, straps and barbell pads, strength and conditioning programs at all different levels, all to suit your needs. So beast your goals this summer with beastgear.co.uk. And so to our guest here today, he's the man that made me want to start getting into grappling. It's an honour to have him on the show. It's Mr. Eric Paulson. Eric, how you doing, sir? Hello. Can you see me? I mean, is that being recorded or is it just my voice? <laughs> well, we're doing it just audio, but for those listening, Eric is looking very handsome, I'll say that. That's how he did Getting ready for a tour. Getting <laughs> ready for a tour? You're about to head out to Australia, right? Yeah, I'm going to go do a tour in Australia. I've got about... Uh, 10 workshops over there. Holy moly. Are you there quite a lot though, right? You're back and forth to Australia, is that right? I go to Australia once a year. Once a year, right. I thought you had family had, family out that way, am I mistaken? Yeah, I have, a, I have a young boy there, he's 16 oh. and, and he's in Sydney and I get to see him. Oh, that's cool. Every time I go back, but I also have a lot of friends there and uh-huh. it's, uh, I used to see him regularly and then I took a little time off yeah. and... Uh, and now it's nice to be able to go back and see them again. Oh, for sure, yeah, yeah. You've got two sons, right, Amaro? Two sons. Yes, I do. I have um, a 16-year-old and a 13-year-old. Oh, teenage boys, hoofed. What's that like? I've got a three-year-old. Well, Tell me what I'm in for. Oh, three. 
Well, you're actually in a good spot. To right. three to, they get to the point where they're actually fun to play with. Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. The terrible twos are gone, and now yeah. you have to uh, I don't even know what they call the threes. What do they call the threes? Uh, it's an extension of the terrible twos in this house. But <laughs> Through the terrible twos, then they're in the, the threes. So. Yeah. Oh, nice stuff. Me and my wife just found out we've got another one in the way, actually. So Congratulations. Thanks, Will. man. Don't worry, we'll find the father. Yeah, exactly. Once we get that photo ID match, that was what my buddy first said. He's one guy goes, uh, he goes, oh, don't worry, we'll find the dad. And then he goes, that was Greg Nelson. The other guy, Rick Fay, goes, it wasn't me. That's it. That deep half guard's got a lot to answer for. That's it. Yeah, yeah. Don't. uh, I don't. You know, I don't teach that to girls. Right. Okay, so how you do it? Keep on the straight and narrow. That's he goes, hey, what do you think about the deep half guard? And I go, um, you mean nut hugging, putting someone's balls on the side of your face? <laughs> and being comfortable and happy there? I quite like the deep half guard. I've been messing about with it a lot recently. My coach hates it. He says, why don't you just learn X guard? But I don't know. Well, it's a transition. It's part of the transition between the spider, the deep half, the X guard, and, and the side half guard. I think it's just because my knee shield was getting crushed, I ended up there. So it's just like, well, I may as well learn this. I'm getting stuck here. Yeah, well, if you can get under, you it's a log rolling contest. You go left and right, and you go yeah. back and forth. Try to take their back, and then you start using your hooks and try to sweep, take their back. Oh, fun times. I don't know. Just try not to get tapped. So, is it, do you think the deep half is guard is good for uh, a real MMA fight or a real fight, a bare-knuckle fight? I mean, probably not. I, I, I never mess about with MMA, but yeah, I mean, I'm open to all sorts of shots. You, you would know that more than anyone, right? I'm just open to... Well, yeah, I mean, if you can bury your head, again, you have to bury your head under the ball sack. Mm-hmm, but, uh, sorry about saying that. But, but, uh, <laughs> bury your head there. I mean, you have to bury your head. And I, if you could like get to the deep half and then get you know spin out of it and then get either sweep them or get to their back or put them on their back, and it's a matter of seconds, that's great. Yeah. But to stay there, that's not a good thing for a real fight. Well, and also in grappling, when I first started messing with it, I was always getting caught in a darts. I was never crunched up enough. That's what my coach was always telling me. I was too too stretched out and just leaving that open. Head up. Head up. Your, yeah. head up keep your tight to your side yeah, shoulders up that's it mate um, let's talk a wee bit about my, not about my shitty uh, half guard game let's talk about yourself Eric um, and I want to start with young Eric because you started a, you were a judoka is that, that your first um, martial art is that right yeah I started in 19, 1974 I started judo and that was actually when I was in um, elementary school holy moly I, you know, I did a couple competitions and I won and then I won and then I wanted to compete longer mm-hmm. And uh, I started doing that, and and then uh, I got in a street fight, and uh, I got in a street fight in Minnesota in the snow, and a guy actually grabbed my hair, and we went backwards. I tried to hip toss him, and and he grabbed my hair. We went back in the snowbank, and we started punching each other's face. (laughs) I had his hair. He had my hair. And uh, I said, you know what? This judo might not work so well in the middle of winter time with a (laughs) road underneath me or icy ground uh and and so i thought hmm wonder if i should learn how to box right so, so uh I, I actually after judo i went into karate in 1976 i started karate and it was all 
uh, sparring. And it was all, it wasn't really point-based. It was, it was Taekwondo, but it was made for, for just spar. All we did is spar. Okay. So it was really good. We didn't have to do katas. It was all sparring. And developing your legs. So I, I was very fortunate to be with a man who was a good, good fighter. And he, he fought a lot. And he had great hands and he had great legs. And that's right at the beginning. That before for Full Contact Karate came out. And then he was in the beginning stages of that. But he was in karate terms killing people. And then, um, uh, and then in eighth grade, I got into boxing. So I went into Golden Gloves boxing because my dad said, let's do a real martial art. Let's get you into boxing. <laughs> right, okay. He wasn't impressed with judo, right? I came home with black eyes every oh, single night after boxing. I either had a, a, I have grazes and black eyes and, and a, probably a partial uh, concussion because we used to spar. Like, you spar a lot. I was like, wow, that guy really hits hard. And they go, no, that's normal. And how old are you at this point? What age are we talking? When you're I mean, eighth, ninth, tenth, eleventh, and twelfth grade. Holy shit. So your parents, they were, what, not fussed, but they coming home with the black eyes. They were like, yeah, that's cool. Well, my mom didn't care for it because she was a nurse. Oh, yeah, yeah. So, yeah. You know, I was kind of dazed a little, but I, I've never been knocked out in my life. Yeah, that's it. Touch that wood. Uh, but I've never been knocked out, and... Uh, so, uh, with that, I, I knew I had a good chin. Mm -hmm. I knew I could take a shot. Sure. And I boxed for quite some time, and then and then I got out of boxing and got into full contact karate. And then uh, in the later stages of that, I had met Rick Fay in Minnesota. He came to my karate school, and he was teaching uh, Kali and Jun Fun. Thai boxing, trapping, weaponry, and I asked him what it was, and I had all of Bruce Lee's books at that time. Right. And he said it's uh, considered Jeet Kune Do. I'm Dan Inosano's my teacher, and I Amazing. I have a school. I mean, Jeet Kune Do is fascinating to me. I mean, I, I've never been a, a, and Dan Inosano's, he's, 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 he's like... I quit to get into it, because I... I I always wanted to do it, and I knew right. it was like the ultimate martial art, yeah. but I knew it was more for street fighting than it was for point tournaments. And I, I love to fight. Uh, as a karate guy, I used to love to fight in, in point tournaments. <clears throat> it really helped your timing. And then and then it started getting real, so we got into boxing and then into full-contact karate, and I'm like, well, this is like this is real, real fighting as far as stand-up goes. And then uh, my brother's a wrestler, and he said a wrestler could beat a striker every. And, <laughs> that was one. Yeah. And so I used to get into arguments and fights with my brother, and I would kick him in the face, and then he'd take me down. <laughs> yeah, kick him in the face, take me down. And uh, we kind of had a rule no punching in the face, and I remember when one of us accidentally punched each other in the face, and I was like, oh, oh okay, it's on. <laughs> but, uh, you know, I would kick him or punch him, and then I'd get taken down every time. It's, it, it's, it was considered revolutionary at the time, you know, at, at the time it was like, well, it misses me as an observer, but like, I've never been a practitioner, but like, my background's Taekwondo, I did that all through my teens, early 20s, and Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu is only later, I'm 34 now, but like, someone like yourself, who was a practitioner at Jeet Kune Do, like, there's a lot of philosophy in it as well, you know, they say less movement, more efficiency, what, give me some of your thoughts on that, what, what, what do you think? Well, okay, so... Dan and Asano, Guru Dan and Asano. Got you. If you take his classes, he act teaches the Jun Fan kickboxing, the Jun Fan trapping, the Jun Fan grappling. 
And then he teaches Kali, and he teaches Silat, and he teaches Thai boxing, and he, he was teaching Savat. So all these were all separate classes, but the Junfang classes all had curriculum. It's like a lot of people, they see Shudo, and they say that Shudo is actually uh, just a fight style in Japan. And I said, no, it's actually an art form, and it's actually a martial art, and there's actual curriculum <laughs> that you have to learn. It's striking, throwing, and submission. Right. And to me, that that was the continuation of Jeet Kune Do was, was Shudo because it was it, it covered all ranges of striking, clenching, throwing, and, and then ground ground fighting, punching on the ground and submission. Weaponry as well? Were they, was, it a, was there weapons involved or was it strictly? No, only if you um, pissed off the head sensei. <laughs> sure, right. Uh. Bamboo Shanai or a... Uh, uh, an umbrella, I've heard. An umbrella, open, closed, doesn't matter, I guess, right? <laughs> closed. I, I, had, I went to Japan and I said, were those videos fake or real of Sensei Sayama hitting the fighters? And then he all said, those are real. And he's like, oh, no, it's just for show. And all the guys showed me their scars on their heads. Oh, man. Well, yeah, I was just, he was just training a group of fighters, and he was hardcore. And he was a professional wrestler turned... Uh, real fighter, and, and Carl Gotch even said, hey, this is never going to take, it's never going to be real, it's never going to become famous, it's not going to become popular, because of the fact show wrestling is where it's at. Mm. How that changed that? So he said, I disagree. He goes, I think that you can have the show style wrestling, but it has to be real, and the submissions have to be real. Mm. You can't have rope escapes, you can't have predetermined matches, because then it's considered fake. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So he he created the only league in Japan at the time that had a real 100% real fighting. Some of the other leagues had half or 75% of their matches real, but a lot of, a lot of them sometimes guys would carry each other or they were predetermined or uh, there was a rope escape. So like you could grab somebody's ankle and twist it so bad, screaming and then you can grab the rope and you got three rope, rope escapes. So, uh, Shudo is the only one. The only problem with Shudo is they had, they were small-minded, so if you went over there and you fought and you lost, you'd probably have one more chance of fighting again. If you lost again, that's it. You're done. Crazy. And in, Yeah, over in in Pancrase, you develop a fanfare, so it was a development of, of fans and people that watch you. and It was more character and fighter development. Yeah, persona-based almost, right? Yeah, 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 exactly. How did you get... Sorry, I'm going Shudo. all over the place, but like, how did you get involved in Shudo? Like, Because I know... Uh, like, you had- Kumara did a seminar at the Unisano Academy in 1988, and I took a seminar. And it all started from that seminar? Yeah, because he showed me... I said, Does, do people compete with this stuff? He uh-huh. goes, yes. And then I, I looked at uh, a, a video, and I said, boy, I would love to do that. I thought I was going to go to Japan and fight a, a three three minute amateur match, and that my first fight was a five three minute professional match with their strongest ground guy at the time. And is this before or after you've you've rubbed shoulders or shared mats with the Gracies and those Garys? Uh, so I started with the Gracies in 1986 in their garage uh-huh. with Horgan and Hoyce and Higgin, uh-huh. and then in 19. Uh, 88 I did started with Shudo and I combined and I did both at the same time and I didn't I tried not I tried to keep it quiet I tried not to say anything 
but uh, since Ayuri knew what I was doing on the ground was a little bit different than than the uh, catch wrestling and the shooter that he was teaching. Okay. And I was also attacking a lot of the shooter locks in group class at Hickson's and a case of Gatami. So a lot of guys asked me, they go, what, are you like a wrestler or a judo guy or something? And <laughs> something, I guess. I don't know. I just, just try to use the things that most people didn't know. Like the telephone lock series from Case Gatami, there's four telephone wrist locks. Explain that, most, that. The telephone locks, what people might not know. The telephone locks are a combination of an outside twisting, a crushing mm-hmm. a combination of two hands together like a V, and then and then when the guy covers for a Katagatami choke. Like an answer uh, phone, yeah. Shoulder, and then you pull his arm oh, outward, and it's over yeah. a wrist lock. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Telephone locks. They're they're based. Uh, they come from catch wrestling. Um, but anyway, so I was learning a lot of submissions through shudo, and I was learning a lot of transitions and escapes through jujitsu. So what I wanted to do is try to combine everything. So I wanted because shudo didn't really have the defense. They didn't have the escapes and the defense and the positions. Uh, they weren't controlling it and. Um, big on the positioning as much as they're more more about attacking the submission than they were about controlling position. So I was attempting to combine the two, and I was fortunate at the time because that's what helped me win in Japan because none of the guys knew Japanese. or uh, Jap- They all knew Japanese jiu-jitsu, but they didn't know. Uh, Gracie or Brazilian jiu-jitsu okay, on the ground. What's the angle here? Because mid eighties, you're, you're a young guy. You're, you're absorbing all these different martial arts. Is it just thirst for knowledge and learning? Like, did you have an angle no. with that time? No, I, I was trying to learn as much as I could because I wanted to fight and I wanted to see what I had in my arsenal that worked. Yeah. You know, I wanted to see what arts were great and what worked better than others. Yeah, I suppose it's th- before the UFC. We all had that question, right? We all. We, we, of course, we live vicariously through the Street Fighter game. You know what I mean? Uh, it's like I was on line last night and I was watching actual fight shows from China where they were taking kung fu masters and making them fight uh, guys with MMA gloves and mm-hmm. MMA shorts and rash guards on. Mm-hmm. And these guys are like well acclaimed masters in different like Tai Chi and Wing Chun and and. Uh, and they were trying to compare the new style of fighting versus uh, an authentic old school style of fighting. Now, obviously, there's great in each and in everything. Everything has something great to offer. Mm-hmm. And uh, and it's also the practitioner. Yep. Sifu Fong, Sifu Francis Fong, is, Wing Chun is, when he really does it, it doesn't even look like Wing Chun. It morphs, it's energy morphine, and he, he dials in, and he uproots you, and then he's, it, it's like boxing. I mean, his hands, the way he hits and hooks and Rhythms. gets hit. He shows traditional, and then he shows, like, his adaptation and his method of it. But yeah. it, it's the person that's actually doing the art. It's the person, how they combine things. It's, it's not where it comes from so much. It's how it's combined, how it's put together. That's what the... The, the big thing that Dan, Guru Dan Asano said, he said, it's it, it's not so much where it comes from, but it's how it's combined, how it's used. Yeah, yeah I, 
I'm, I'm learning grappling, all different grappling systems, uh, but not to collect, but just because I'm interested to learn. Like I like, yeah. I, I really like Aiki Jiu-Jitsu. I like Aikido. I looked at the Chinna stuff, which were all the wrist locks, and, uh, and you know, and a lot of that doesn't really apply good to a guy who's going to punch your face in. <laughs> yeah, I'll do it. So, you know, and then and then the judo and the wrestling, the Greco and the freestyle. I mean, I, I some of the best wrestling coaches in the world. What about Sambo, like Combat Sambo? Because that's a combination. Sambo, it's great. It's combined, though. I think it's all combined. And, and the Combat Sambo is good, too. Now, But the Combat Sambo is basically amateur shudo. Mm. It's, uh, they put the headgear on. It's punching, kicking, throwing, and submission. Mm. And there's another thing. You should look it up. It's called Dai, Daido Joku. Uh, full contact karate, and it's it's Kyokushin karate with bubble helmets on, and they mm. punch and throw and ground, and they hit on the ground. It's just pretty interesting. It's, it's a bubble helmet. I don't like the bubble helmets. We we used to train in them, Same. but that's exciting. It's it's a version of amateur MMA, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. but it does it makes it real. So my goal uh, this year was to add the striking aspect back into the ground with the gi on so i wanted my i want to have a, like a combat jujitsu class where we're all rolling you roll with your gi you start on your feet you do all your takedowns and your throws and then i go okay time everyone put gloves on and i go okay now you're allowed to do everything but now you're allowed to punch your face <laughs> and the wow and well, not, now what that does, it makes your jujitsu uh, become real. Right. It's like, okay, maybe I won't pull that uh, deep half guard because I don't <laughs> want to match uh, it thirty-five times. Yeah. So I believe that I believe that it really it really makes it real. It really makes it real. It, it makes your your grappling. A little more applicable for the street. Oh, of course, there's no, there's no but, more facet of reality than punched in the face, right? Well, ultimately, Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu was created as a self-defense mm-hmm. form of self-defense, sure. and it became in order for you to get good, you had to roll a lot. Now, Japanese Jiu-Jitsu was all theory and technique, but it wasn't contested. Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu or Gracie Jiu-Jitsu was learning the moves and getting on the floor and going against guys to see if you can apply your stuff and, and apply your moves and apply your skills and your, and the art. And, uh, you know, and, and the fact is, is, uh, you fall in love with the grap the grappling because you get bit by the grappling bug. Once you get on the floor and you go, Oh my gosh, this is a vast sea of unlimited or un- unlimited knowledge. Yeah. The bassy of unlimited knowledge here, and and now I thought I was I did Taekwondo for 13 years. Um, I'm like, is there anything else Taekwondo has to offer? I, 13 years is a pretty pretty good run for Taekwondo, and then all of a sudden I started grappling. I'm like, wow, you could do this too. You're like, oh, it's like another universe, isn't it? Yeah. Not because because there's so much to learn. You can still mm-hmm. continue to grapple. You don't have to roll hard, but you can still roll light. All the way up until the day you die. That's why there's that's why there's guys that are that are eighty some years old that are still just going getting on the mat. It takes them a while to get down and a while to get up, and it probably takes them, you know, a few days to get over the sore or stiffness. But they're still doing it. 
That's my goal, man. I want to how, many 90 year old, how many 80-year-old guys do you see kicking type heads or hitting focus mitts? None. I mean, let's be honest. Stick. You could do collie, though. You could do stick and knife. You could also do C-Lot because it's uh, C-Lot. You don't have to take those hard falls as you would judo. Judo would be a younger man's sport. Uh, the C-Lot are based on levers, so it's it's all based on leverage. Mm-hmm. And so so you could do that till you're old, too. So the collie, C-Lot, and, and the grappling would be – you know, some great arts for some older people. And I, I always think, you know, always have good hands. You you should always have good hands. So boxing plays a big part. You know, you might not always kick, but, man, you should still be able to tear people up with your hands and also be good at defending your face. If you like the way you look, you should learn how to defend your face. <laughs> so I believe the wall survival drill is the best drill you could ever do for self-defense in what's, the world. What's the wall oh, survival? Clue me up on that. You put yourself on the wall and you use a, a single defense, which uh-huh. is one hand defense, right. and then you use double hand defense, and then you use alternate elbow and then head movement. Right, and right, a right. Guy, guy sits back and, and punches one to five punches at you while he breaks in and breaks out and creates angles. Ouch. And so you'll have, like what I would do, just so I get good at not getting punched in the face, <laughs> so I used to walk in the in Asano Academy and I go, okay. Listen up. Who here wants to punch me in the face? Raise your hand. <laughs> so like 10, 15 guys would raise their hand. I go, perfect, line up. And then I used to use everybody to punch my face. And then, you know, there's a few guys like Damon Carroll and, and Slim who are really super fast. And Chad, and I go, hey, could you slow it down a little bit? I, I have to punches. And and there, I go, I'm training myself as much as you guys get a chance to punch my face in. I go, I got to work my defense. But um, I would actually sit sit in the corner or on the ropes, and I would go forward and back and left and right and duck. Whereas there, the other guy, there was another guy that would give people boxing gloves. He goes, all right, punch me in the face. And the thing is, is he was using his footwork. So he was all over the place in the parking lot, which is great. But if you don't have the ability – or if you're tired, it's all upper body movement. Right. You're yeah. you're slipping, you're ducking, Fakes you're and fates. Yeah. Yeah, it, it's all <clears throat> upper body. And then obviously your your footwork is going to get you in and out of trouble. It's mm-hmm. going to get you in, so you can hit, and it's going to get you in and out of range. Mm-hmm. Awesome. Let's talk a wee bit about catch wrestling. First of all, how does that come into your life? Let our listeners know, and myself, please. Well, catch wrestling. First of all, wrestling. You have to learn how to wrestle. And wrestling isn't just takedowns, it's ground. It's all the tilts and turns from the turtle position, the suckbacks and the pins, the escapes, uh, the bridges. But learning how to pin and control somebody and tilt them and, and turn them. <clears throat> and uh, you have an entry, a follow-up, and a finish. Mm-hmm. So use entries. We go, okay, let's do one-for-one entries for wrestling. So we start with a bicep collar tie or double bicep tie, and I'll do a, a, a hit a double leg, and then I'll hit a single leg, and then I'll hit a duck under or, or a high crotch or a sweep single or a snag single or a head and arm throw or a body lock, an underhook, an overhook. And, and uh, so you get good at your setups, and we go, okay, go to the finish. So the finish is the takedown. 
And the takedown, you have to put somebody on their back flat. You don't put them on their butt because that's not considered a takedown. You got to put them on their back and control them. And then, and then I give people five seconds when you get taken down. You got five seconds to get up or to get out. Mm-hmm. So that's the scramble. And then we have um, drills like we call stop, stop and shoot. Or shoot, we start with shoot, reshoot drills, where I shoot a double and you block me with your hands and I remove your hands and I shoot again. So I go shoot, shoot, block, shoot. It's called a shoot, reshoot. And then the other is called block, reshoot, where they shoot on you and you block them with your hands or your forearms or your head. And then you scoop their head and their elbow out of the way and then you reshoot on them. So you stop, reshoot. So shoot, reshoot, stop, reshoot, and then we do a, a drill called the hands-on drill where I take you down straight for one straight minute or two straight or three straight minutes, and I keep my hands on you the whole time. So when you're on the ground, my hands are on you. As soon as you start to stand up, I might shove you. I might snap you. I might manipulate and move you left and right, uh, and that's called the, hands, that's called the uh, hands-on drill. And then, and then, um, then we work uh, positions. They're called situations. Situations are seatbelt versus whizzer. Uh, uh, you shot a double leg. They sprawled. They have a chest squeeze on you. How are you going to get out? Yeah, yeah. So it's out the back out. Um, you know. And then, and then I don't let guys pull guard. When we do submission wrestling, submission wrestling, I make guys put people down on their back. I don't let them pull guard. But when we do some. When we do like uh, submission grappling, not submission wrestling, submission grappling, I tell everyone, I go, I don't care if you sit to your guard. I don't care if you pull someone to your guard. You better be attacking immediately while you're doing that. Otherwise, there's no sense in going to your guard or your half guard or your butterfly guard mm-hmm. if you're not you know, proactive and attacking either sweeping, arm barring, choking, or taking somebody's back or taking their legs. How do the legs work? Leg attacks work in catch wrestling. Do you? Do you? Leg attacks. Yeah, there. I mean, there's position, yeah. different positions. Um, standard. They start uh, overturn versus supine. So you have uh, standing versus somebody that's on their back and their feet are on your hips. Mm-hmm. And and we work how to clear the legs and then how to attack standing versus ground. And then we would do ground versus ground attacks, leg entanglement. So the leg entanglement. Um, so, so John Donahue had put like different names on the different positions, like Ashigami. But I mean, we've done that in Shudo. We've had all those different. You have one shin in, one foot on their hip. You have both legs over. Mm-hmm. Uh, you have you're, you're on your left shoulder. You have your outside leg over the top. They call reaping, but a lot of tournaments don't call reaping. So you still use the uh, lace leg system, and you also use the figure four system with your legs, mm-hmm. hiding your legs while you're attacking. And uh, that, that's a, just a big thing is is when you're attacking the legs that your legs are not in the open to get reattacked. Mm-hmm. It's just and sometimes, I mean, I find it a wee bit frustrating, right? I was rolling last night, some of the guys are getting ready for the Hicks and Gracie Cup actually here in Scotland. And I'm a blue belt, so when I attack the legs, you know, I've got to mind my P's and Q's, and I guess it can be dangerous, right? So people are is, it IBJ, is it IBJJF? Yes, yes, yeah, yeah. So, like, um, kind of like what you're saying, I've got, it's like a kind of deli heaver, but I've got go deep deli heaver, and then I'm picking out the ankle with the other foot, but that's a potential knee reap, so I need to watch what I'm doing with it. And I'm just looking for a sweep, and it's like... I, I don't even, you know, I don't even... I wouldn't even go for leg locks in a tournament like that, because the guys cheat. 
what they do but is they push when the foot then right yeah they push it down they turn and then yell reaping yeah and then you lose your match and then they and then there's a question who you know who the guy's politically involved with and don't even attack the legs i i'm like you know unless you have to unless you're down and you got like two seconds and you hit an ang- achilles lock that's great mm-hmm. but mm-hmm. i would sit and work and just work all your leg attack i would work passing the guard definitely get good at passing the guard mm-hmm. uh not letting people pass your guard which is guard retention attacking off your back mm-hmm. uh and work your sweeps get mm-hmm. really good at sweeping people and reversing people mm-hmm. and passing the guard I mean, I've never tried catch wrestling, but I'd love to. I don't know many places in Scotland. I know there's one through in Edinburgh, actually, but I mean, I guess in the UK, Snake Pit, Wigan, that's that's kind of that's the home for for a lot of. Um, yeah, they have any submission guys down there. Um, they, they just started teaching because they were wrestling school, and and then he just started teaching catch wrestling again. But there's not really like a bunch of outstanding catch wrestlers down there right. uh, as there used to be, but. You know there are. He has a he has a few. I think. Uh, you know you have Mel Corrigan. He's got he's got a catch wrestling class. He's there in Wigan also. But you have you know it's called the Aspole Gym, which is the old Snake Pit, and that's yeah. uh, that's Roy, and and uh, you know Roy started teaching catch wrestling again. But I don't know at what level the guys are at with their submissions. And I told all of them, I said, if you guys really want to address and get good at submissions, you got to work off your back too because. It's not all catch wrestling. Yeah. All we do is catch wrestling. I go, yeah, but your deal. You guys don't even address the guard. You don't know how to pass the guard. You don't address the guard. You just attack the legs. Well, that's great, but you need to address the back position because because all the good grapplers today work off their sides and their backs. A lot of wrestlers just don't want to be on the backs, though. Yeah, it's just that's oh, understandable. But guess what? Most smart jujitsu guys, or most smart wrestlers today, learn jujitsu. Yeah, yeah, it's true, man. And most smart jujitsu guys today are learning how to wrestle. Yeah, got to. I'm sick of pulling so guard, man. I need to learn it. Over. You look at all the guys that are fighting. I, I was sitting in the back room at uh, Bellator or, or Strikeforce or the UFC, and I'm watching all the guys. And all the good Brazilian jujitsu guys, they're wrestling too. They're doing mm-hmm. wrestling. Yeah. Look at Damien Maia. Damien Maia, jiu-jitsu expert, but really up to his game later on by his wrestling. Yeah. If you don't have a good takedown, it's like when Alistair Overeem fought uh, Fabrizio Verdum. I guarantee if Fabrizio Verdum wished he had a great double leg because he could have put Alistair down and held him down and finished him. Mm -hmm. But he couldn't take him down in that fight because he didn't have a good takedown. Mm -hmm. And he kept going to his back and Alistair was back up. Nope, stand up. Yeah. And so... As a grappler, I'm talking about a grappler. I'm not talking about a wrestler. I'm talking about a grappler. Sure. You have to have one or two good takedowns. I'm sorry. That's the way it is. Yeah. No, you're quite right, man. You can't just pull guard on everybody and that's what you're going to do. And, and and you have to have at least one good takedown. If you can't, if you pull guard and a guy backs up, you should be able to shoot in for a single or a double or a sweep single or a high crotch or stand up and hip lock and throw them or whatever. But you need to have a, a, one or two good takedowns. Yeah, for sure. I like that one where it's, a snap, it's the fake snap down to get that reaction for him to come up and then come in the double. That gives me a lot of success with that snap down. They, they posture up, you dive in. Yeah, you got to hit them hard. you got to snap their yeah. head. Yeah. I, I always practice the snap three times. I snap, 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 and then <laughs> jam. Snap, 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 jam, and then hit a double. Yeah. Um, like a double that. leg. 
Let's move on a wee bit because um, we've spoken a wee bit about shoot but another thing I want to talk about is um, your days as a stuntman. Um, were they around about the same time? Am I getting that right? So early 90s when you got into yeah, yeah, I was I was <clears throat> in the movie stuff. I thought I was going to stay in it and then I just, later on, you know, I, I, I did a bunch of stuff. I did a bunch of work and then I was kind of given the ultimatum by my friends who were really involved in in the movie industry and they said, Hey, if you want, uh, you should go into stunts full time or you should do fighting full time, right. but not, don't do both. You can't do both. And I was like, what do you mean? I can't do that. I want to do both. I get phone calls, as many phone calls for stunts as I do for, for fighting. Mm-hmm. So why can't I just do both? They go, you got to make a choice. And so it was my friend that made me make a choice. It was my friend who's the director of John Wick, he's the one that said, hey, you need to make a choice. Right. So I said, well, I still want to fight. And then when I'm done fighting, I'll do go back into the movie stuff. And he's like, well, it might be too late. Yeah. I go, well, I guess I'll just do martial arts full time then, I guess. I mean, <laughs> I could have gotten back into movies, but, you know, when you're working on big shows and you see some of these guys and they're, they're working on these shows regularly, They've, they've dedicated their whole lives to going to stunt work. So they look at it like you're stealing their work. Yeah, right. So it's territorial almost then. Is that what you're saying? Yeah, yeah. works. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like, uh, you're stealing work from us. I mean, we're doing this full time and you're part time. That'd be like, uh, that, I would never get mad at someone that decided that that they were a movie star and then they decided they wanted to fight like, like uh, uh CM Punk or something, you know, it's like, if that's what they want to an entertainer and they want to cross over, so be it. You know, why would I get offended at that? The problem is, is stunt world uh, is very cliquish and and uh, territorial, obviously. And these guys work hard and they hustle hard. Mm-hmm. And that's understandable. Uh, and, it, and it's tough. You know, you get a guy that's not full-time or that's kind of coming in here and there, and they don't really take you under their wings so much. If you were doing it full time with them and all their practices, and you know, I mean, obviously they're going to hire you for work. You're one of the boys at that point, yeah, yeah. If you're in it full time, how do you get, do you get uh, 15 stunt guys on a set? Go on, hire one. <laughs> right, okay. All you got to do is hire one, and, and then <laughs> 14 of his buddies. Right. Yeah, he's got his boys in with him. I mean, there must be two completely different worlds, though, because you're doing shoot which I imagine is, I mean, that's the real deal, and you're doing, I don't know, is it learn to fall and sell a punch, that kind of stuff? I mean, it's hard graft, no doubt. Yeah, mark, taking but... falls, getting burned, driving, falling from a building, fight scenes, uh, you know, you have to be able to do it all. Like, you have to be able to, to take a high fall. Mm-hmm. You have to fall out of a tree, get shot, and fall out of a tree, you have to learn how to fall off a horse, ride a horse, uh, climb a mountain, climb a hill, rock climb, and fall off a rock. <clears throat> and so, uh, you know, it's it's a, you learn how to drive, you learn how to burn, uh, you learn how to fall, you learn how to fight, you learn how to flip and trick. Yeah, that's all part of the stunt world. I like how you said fall off the horse and then ride the horse. That was the. Oh, <laughs> yeah. no, you learn to ride and then you learn to fall off. <laughs> That's it. I mean, round about, I may be getting my timeline mixed up again, but is this round about the time when the UFC starts? Because I always heard the rumour that you got offered that and then turned it down. Is that true? No, what happened <clears> is I, I actually had a movie part the same time I had a bare knuckle fight. All right. 
and uh, I went up for the movie part. I went up for the commercial for the for the fights. Chad and I went up for the for the as the actors for the commercial, and we got the part. We beat out Ty Mac, Bruce Leroy. We beat out Ty Mac and, uh, <laughs> for the for the main for the, for this TV show mm-hmm. or for the commercial. And so everyone goes, wow, your demo is really good. Do you guys uh, ever fight? And I pointed at Chad, he pointed at me, and they go, would you guys ever fight in something like this? I go, no way, this is crazy, this is bare knuckle. You could die in things like in a show like this. And next thing you know, they go, well, we need an alternate. Would you be willing to be an alternate? We'll pay you $1,500 for your first fight. And uh, I'm like, what are the odds that I'm going to fight? They go, it's not very much. I mean, the odds of you fighting are very low, but we might need an alternate. Next day, I get a phone call. Yeah, so-and-so pulled out. Uh, you want to fight? And there was a bare-knuckle fight. And and I was in the strikers division. They said, can you do striking or grappling? I go, both. <laughs> and they go, wow, okay, yeah, that'd be cool. So anyways, at the same time, I had a movie – called Sinbad, we were shooting in Morocco. Daniel Bernhardt, Daniel Bernhardt was the lead actor. And what happened is it got pushed. The production got pushed. So I got hired as a Viking warrior because I had long blonde hair. I look like a, a Viking warrior. Paulson, that's a, that's a Danish name, got to be right. That's got to be in there. Uh, no, it's Swedish. It could be Swedish, Danish, yeah. or Norwegian. Yeah. S-O-N. S-O-N. Yeah, uh, S-O-N, the son of Paul. So um, he, uh, the guy goes, don't cut your hair. The director said, don't cut your hair, you know, the stunt coordinator. Don't cut your hair because we're going to hire you on the show. We're waiting for the show. And, and the money's good. I mean, you are you have a good part. So so I go, okay. So I waited. And uh, anyways, when I fought, they, they go, hey, we, you're going to fight. Uh, it's bare knuckle. You got long hair. You better get your hair cornrowed. So I went to get my hair cornrowed from two different girls, and no, <laughs> nobody could do my hair. And so finally I go, screw it. Just put it in a ponytail and tie it into a bun. And that's what happened. And, and the reason I didn't cut it after my first fight was because I still thought I was going to have that be part of that movie. So called, uh, the movie was called Sinbad. <laughs> Eric Paulson had the bun years before it was cool. Think of that. I had long hair. Cool. I had long hair when it was cool. When when it was like cool to have long hair. Yeah, man. I've seen those pictures. The bandana. You were looking looking sharp. Well, that was a kind of a look, you know, the bad guy look. I, and as a stunt guy, I could get a lot of work as a bad guy. Yeah. Have you seen this video? Sorry, my ADD is playing up. Have you seen this video of uh, Matt Serra sitting on a guy in a restaurant and filming? I just saw it yesterday. That's funny. That's perfect. That's what jujitsu is for. Yeah, he's restraining him. He's not doing anything but just holding him down. It's perfect. That's exactly what it's for. It's for for a hole in a restaurant that's an an insubordinate. Yeah. It's picking a fight, and it's up to you to take the guy down and sit on him. Yeah, yeah. in the middle of the main course. Well, I don't know yeah, but the, the problem was was, was the security. He, he was going to dick. Out, he was going to go crazy. That's why he just sat on him. Uh, yeah, exactly. At least he was being a nice guy, but he probably could just... That's a public service. Uh, that's, that's a job a hero does. That's something that's very heroic and brave. <laughs> So God bless Matt Sarah for that. Could have just smacked the shit him if we wanted, or worse. Good for him. Yeah, but 
it, you're better off just the guy's mouth and arm, maybe slapping him a little bit or covering his mouth or just smothering with your yeah. weight. I love those uh, little uh, videos. You do. What's it you I would actually, I would climb to the high mount. Yeah, honk his nose. Couple times, <laughs> yeah. I'm you do those drills. You give them a wet willy when you're in high mount and stuff. Um, I don't really care for that so much, but also the chin choke. You put your chin in their eye socket. Oh, nasty! Really well, when they're mouthing off. That'd be IBUGJF. I could get away with that. I'm sure. Uh, no, actually, I taught the um, the figure four choke, the reverse katagatami. You step over the head, they wipe your leg, and then you weave your arm around. Yeah, so then four. But I teach the nose pinch. Nose pinch is hilarious. <laughs> you're choking with your chest, you nose pinch. And the guy got disqualified. That's oh, come on. Sorry, anyway, ADD was playing up. I apologize, Eric. Let's talk CSW, because you're the, you're the founder, you're the granddaddy. Um, initially, how did Combat Submission Wrestling come about? Talk to us about the, the foundation. Well, because I was, doing, I was out training fighters. And I had a lot of fighters I was training, and a lot of these guys were competing. And I asked Sensei Yuri if I could say, am I teaching shoot? These guys are shooto. They're shooto guys. He goes, no, they don't train with me, so they're not shooto. And I go, well, then what am I teaching? And he goes, well, if they want to they want to claim a shooto, they got to come and train with me. So I was like, okay. And then at the time, I was a blue belt. And I asked, I believe, the Machados at the time if it was okay if I called it Machado Jiu-Jitsu. And they said, look at it like this. John Machado said, look at it like this. If you fight and you win, you can use our name. If you fight and you, and you lose, yeah, don't use our name. <laughs> right. was, okay. All right. It's okay. I was a black belt at the time. It didn't matter. So I go, okay. Um, you know what? And then it was Simo, Paula, and Asano. Mrs. and Asano said, hey, Eric, you should just start your own like organization or association because you're, you're grappling. You took your gi off. Right now you took your gi off to fight, but you're grappling every day with no gi. Mm -hmm. uh, and I'm talking like early 90s. And, and you're wrestling and you're striking and you're doing kickboxing. Uh, you're boxing, you're doing kickboxing, you're wrestling, uh, and then you're grappling with no gi. Mm -hmm. um, why don't you make a name for it or call it something? Because if you're not allowed to use shudo, I said, but, but uh, you know, Sensei Yuri will get upset that I don't call it shudo because I'm training because I'm the shudo champion. Or I was, I was a fighter at the time. I wasn't the champion. And even when I was a champion, I still wasn't allowed to rank and and really promote shudo until i retired so i said that's good and she just goes screw it eric call it something else and she said you have a group of guys you have a group of fighters you have a team of guys a team of fighters and you're training these guys so you just create a name so i was like well i went to japan they had something called combat grappling and it was kind of cool but it wasn't quite the same combat grappling over there was it's like a catch wrestling tournament throwing with submissions and and so what we were doing is we were fighting and we were grappling we were kickboxing boxing wrestling and grappling with striking and submissions so i called it combat submission wrestling so it was submission wrestling it was wrestling with submissions because if it if we wore the gi then i would have called it 
jujitsu and jacket wrestling or whatever. But, yeah, yeah. Uh, so all the guys I was training were all getting ready for MMA fights. So that's how combat submission wrestling started. It was Mrs. Inosanto that actually told me to create a name and then start an association. And it was her giving me permission to do that. And that's how it started. And then, and then what I did is I started compiling curriculum on a ranking system. And a ranking system was just to let guys know how long they were training. I mean, ultimately, it was just cool to have a bunch of guys that I trained and, and just say, hey, these are my guys that I trained. But then later on, you, we created coach certificates. So these guys are coaches or uh, associate instructors, affiliates, associates, or full instructors. And then, and then you get a couple guys that are really good coaches that know everything and they know all the stuff that I'm teaching. Those are the super coaches. And by God, you've had some notable students, man. Josh Barnett, Babaloo, Ken Shamrock. Great guy. Greg Nelson. Greg Nelson's got a team of guys, his, his fighters alone. I mean, I just so many great guys. Wasay Moran, he's out of uh, Virginia Beach. He's got a, a plethora of fighters. Uh, a lot of these guys are under the radar. Pat Asteloni had a lot of guys. I have guys all over. Uh, the guys from Florida had a bunch of fighters. Everyone had uh, all the guys in England, um, Matt Chapman, James Evans, Nicole, Dave Lee. These guys all started fighting. Phil Norman, uh, Andy Barker, uh, Rick Young went strictly into the grappling aspect yeah. and, and uh, you know, and tore it up. And these guys, you know, I was – I was able to go over and see these guys and train them and train with them and have a great friendship with them. And, you know, nothing compares to that. Yeah. You have a good friendship, uh, sweating and laughing. <laughs> yeah, that's it. That's the camaraderie I love, man. Definitely. Eric, I, I want to give you a massive thank you for your time. It's just the final part of the show. Um, a lot of our fans are excited to hear you coming on today and a lot of them have got in touch on Facebook and Twitter. So you okay to hang around and answer some of their questions, mate? Sure. You okay, first up, we'll go to Facebook, and it's Jeremy Johnson, um, who says, I find that competition judo and jiu-jitsu hinder true self-defense of martial arts. Not being able to touch the legs, etc., makes techniques out that I train and makes me stray from competition. Do you agree that change in ruling in judo is off-putting? I didn't know. Did they change the rule or something? I have no idea. Uh, the rule in judo now one hand grip breaks and no longer are they allowing the, the double leg tackles. So it's all throwing. Uh, uh, yeah, obviously you're not allowed to touch the legs, but, uh, that's for judo. And then, and then they were talking about trying to take judo and keep it on the ground longer. So when you got, uh, when you threw somebody and it wasn't a full, a full point or a full throw and you went down, you could attack and you could stay on the ground until somebody got submitted. And they were talking about that, but I don't think that really kind of came about. But sometimes they allow it. It's just judges too. Some of the older judges allow that. <laughs> so as far as uh, as far as that goes, it's a sport. Yeah. That's a sport. As far as jujitsu goes, it's a sport. And you get into the rules of the sport, or you don't. Now the IBJJF. Everyone goes, oh, it's the best tournament in the world. The IBJJF rules the world and the Pan Ams, and the most prestigious. All the good guys go there. So they have a rule set. The rule set was created not for guys that are leg lockers. The EBI rules are a little bit different because they they really promote the leg lock stuff. And now you're looking at a lot of the EBI guys when they roll, they look like the old shooto guys. 
all the guys I ever mm -hmm. trained in Shudo, the, all the old guys, uh, Imanari was not even around, but you had like Luminosato, Ruminosato, you had Asahi, you had uh, Kawaguchi. These guys were all really great. Kusayanagi, these guys were all great at leg locks. Mm -hmm. And that attacking style, it was a catch wrestling, and then, and then the jiu-jitsu came in, and Yuki Nakai uh, was promoting the jiu-jitsu, but really good at catch wrestling, and also great at Kosen Judo. So uh, if you wanna if you wanna fight, I mean everything is everyone has an ideal as far as self defense. Self defense is separate from the sport. It's ha it has to be taught differently mm -hmm. because the mindset's different. So the first thing you teach people is awareness, stability, self confidence, control, balance, create a connection with each other. You know, that's one thing that uh, Master Hickson, his, his, his invisible jiu-jitsu is creating the connection mm -hmm. and keeping that connection, which is based on the feel of somebody's intentions, where they're, where they're going to go, what they're going to do, and shutting them down with your balance and your base and your control and your sensitivity. I don't know if this next question is a troll, but I'll ask it anyway if that's all right. It's Ellen Reed who's asking, Hey, Eric, what's up with the crazy ghost stories? I heard you lived with poltergeists when you stayed in Orange County. Is that true? They're taking the piss. I didn't stay with poltergeists. Okay. I, I had, ever since I was a little kid, I've had stuff happen. Uh, as far as ghost stories, they are real. Ghosts do exist. Uh, just because you can't see them doesn't mean that they're... There's spirits. There's tons of different spirits. There's different. Uh, there's elemental spirits, which are earth spirits. Then you have the demonic spirits, which sometimes are fallen angels. And then you have extraterrestrials that come in uh, ultra-dimensionally. Those are other things. But m more importantly than any of all this stuff, the most important thing that you need to realize and remember is where are you going to go when you die? Mm, I don't know. What if there is no? Exactly, exactly. So I think that's where you should really put your focus on. Yeah. Don't sit here and go, oh, there's a ghost here. Or there's there's UFOs here. Yeah, but what does that have to do? Even though they exist, what does that have to do with you? Unless you're helping somebody. Like I, I help people who have haunted houses all the time. I help clear people's houses. They have stale energy in their house. They have negative thought patterns in their house. They have deceased... Uh, people that were in the house before. Some people have uh, demonic energy in the house, not fun to be around, not fun to be, be with. Some people get attachments. Some uh, deceased family members attached to people. You get spears and daggers through thought patterns that people send you. Suddenly you're sitting there and your back's hurting and then you realize you got like five daggers in your back. You don't know that, but there are people that do and they can help you to clear that. Keep your field clear through diet, through your thought process, prayer, meditation, grounding, stay grounded. The grounding is the most important thing as a martial artist that we need to focus on. Staying grounded every day, getting your feet in the grass, putting your feet down, drawing a beam of light through your body because we're a, we're a walking beam of light. And when you're scattered, and when you're scattered and you're not grounded, it's easy for things to influence you. So if you ground yourself, drink a lot of water, you ground yourself, and you have righteous intentions that are that are not uh, crazy. That you focus on things that are only positive. You know you're going to attract positivity. 
if you have all this other stuff, then that stuff steps in. You can be a super positive person and you're like a moth in a, in a dark room. You're a light and they're going to come to you. They're going to be a, a, uh, attracted to you. Especially deceased people, they're called disincarnate spirits, they get stuck. Sometimes they, they see a light, they go, well, I'll go to that person because maybe that person could help me. They're very light. And everyone has light energy. And you don't have light energy if you're 50, uh, 50% or lower, you don't, that you're not light energy. It's 51 or plus energy, uh, light energy to, become, to be a light, a light person. Holy shit, man. So did you I, I, I can write tons of books. I worked at a chapel uh, healing people helping heal people who were spiritually challenged, also known as being possessed and influenced and uh, afflicted by a demonic presence. It's not a fun thing. It makes you sleep with the light on. But guess what? Later on, you get strong and you realize that we have way, way, way more power than any of these things. God allows these, these uh, spirits to afflict our Achilles heel. He allows us to crush their skulls. That's it. Come on. I don't know how to move on from that. Uh, I'll try. Uh, okay, Tom Heffernan asks, Eric, you're a black belt in Taekwondo, Judo, and Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu. Uh, which one of these do you think is more effective in a street fight? And he also asked, do you agree that Ken Shamrock was the world's most dangerous man? Ken <clears throat> Shamrock was, was mean as shit in his prime, definitely, by far. He was mean, mean, mean. Uh, you know, when you get older, somebody gets your number. When when he fought Tito, oh, yeah. Tito, fig, yeah, figure it out. You can't take anything away from Ken Shamrock. He was a pioneer in the sport. He, I didn't understand why I was. I became his coach, and I couldn't understand why he was getting so much money to fight in the UFC, and I had the same identical record as he did in Japan, and I I was getting not even close to what he was making per fight. And the reason being is timing. Mm. It's in the right place at the right time. I was I was at the Gracies during the first before the first UFC. I said I wanted to be a one of the shoot fighters in the in the tournament. And they said you'd have to fight um, Hoist. And I said, well, I, I'm not going to fight Hoist because Hoist is my teacher. Sure, yeah, yeah, of course. I'm not. First of all, I value my teachers are like like my dad because I I didn't have. Growing up, I didn't have so much of a, a father figure or father influence, so my teachers became my fathers. So I value all their information and uh, all the stuff they had to offer very much. And I, I didn't want to be disrespectful and turn around and just challenge somebody that, that opened their heart and opened their arms and showed me you know, some new ways to think and, and taught me a martial art. So that's why I never got into that, and, and I never – Someone said, hey, would you ever fight Hickson? I go, why would I ever fight Hickson? And they go, well, you know, uh, and I go, no, no. First of all, he's, he was my teacher. He's still, in my mind, is my teacher, and I'm still learning. Whatever I can, any tidbit I can take from anybody. Master Higa Machado is my teacher. He'll always be my teacher. Yuri Nakamura is my teacher. He'll always be my teacher. Uh, Guru Damasano will always be my teacher and my mentor. Even when he, even someday... When Guru Dan is no longer here, he will always be my teacher and my mentor. All the information that I've ever been given from people like this, I embrace it and I pass it on. Yeah. 
Of course, it's one of the reasons, one of the things why I love rolling with my coach, but I also don't like rolling with my coach because I know that almost everything that I'm about to try, he's taught me. You know what I mean? This is like that's okay because the <laughs> best, the best compliment you could give your teacher is for you to catch your teacher. Yeah, of course. Yeah, if you can suddenly beat your teacher, he's trained you right. Yeah. If you hold stuff back and you'll never beat him. Uh, maybe he didn't show you or train you well enough. That's yeah. what you're looking. I haven't caught him yet, but I'm trying. I'm doing my best. Let's move on with Don Wilson. He's asking, or he says, sorry, big fan, Eric, been to some of your seminars here in Scotland. I hear you talk about chi a lot. You tab the ground, bless the world when you teach. What's your thoughts on chi? Chi is energy. It's your it's your life force. It's your dan shan. It's your uh, Soul seat sits three fingertips below your navel. Some say it's in your navel, but your chi energy is your life force. It's your uh, essential energy, your vital, your life vital energy. And uh, I believe that you have to guard that very strongly. And uh, meaning that when you're tired and you're giving yourself away to all these people, you're you're actually pulling from your life force. So if you get below fifty percent. Like I said, with your life, your light and your life, your life force energy gets below 50%. Suddenly that opens a gap or a uh, it opens up a little teeny hole where these dark ones can come in and attach to or suck your energy from you. So, yeah, your vital energy field, your your chi, your ki, your dan chan, uh, your energy source or energy center, your soul seat is very important. Very important that you that you uh, keep it strong. Definitely, mate. A couple more from Twitter before we wrap up. At Fandom Martial Arts says, I've heard this one so many times. Could Bruce Lee's one-inch punch really kill a guy? I don't think it would kill somebody, but I think it, it, it was a, definitely a surprise. I mean, if you're able to put your hand on somebody and, and move somebody or shock them like that. A distance eye. Yeah, it was it was more for demonstration of the amount of power that you could actually create in such a small area. Yeah. Fair play. Uh, at Eagle Alter eighty nine, did you ever work with Chad? St- I might be butchering this name. Stahelski, St- St- yeah, stuntman. That was I think it was Chad you mentioned before. Yeah, yeah. Chad was Chad and I were training partners, and then I later on he became my coach. He helped me win the belt of Japan twice, and uh, and then he was the one that said, "Hey, make a choice: martial arts or yeah. words." He's now directing John Wick 3. Right, amazing stuff. Good career, man. Uh, one and more. Dave, oh, sorry, man. Dave Carroll and Dave Mark. Dave Mark was my training partner. He just did Deadpool 2. Oh, wait, was Chad the guy who was the stunt double for uh, Brandon Lee and The Crow? Yes, ah, and The Crow. Right, right. Shit. What's your thoughts there? I'm what? Oh, sorry. I'm, I'm ADD is playing up again. Uh, <laughs> it's just, you know, the whole the set, The Crow, was it a fake bullet? I mean, dark, very yeah, dark. Yeah. Uh, I think it was cursed. I felt because I was on the set, and I felt, I felt, it felt cursed to me. Were you close and, to uh, did you know much? Yes, I did. Yeah. And can I tell you something? Uh, sure, another please. thing is, if you look at the Joker and look at the Crow, they have the same face. Mm, interesting. Look at Heath Ledger. Yeah. Look at Brand. They became they became their character, and mm. was the character. Did the devil have something to do with their character? Did something bad? Or was it a curse? Who knows? I mean, you know, there's all these conspiracies and myths, but I'll tell you one thing. 
Jason Momoa is thinking about doing The Crow 2, The I Next Crow. Yeah. And I wouldn't play that character. Even, even uh, uh, what's his name? Um, what's the actor? Jack Nicholson, Jack Nicholson told Heath Ledger, don't become that person. Don't become that character. Don't fly too close to the sun, right? Yeah, so so that that was it. And I, I don't know, I just, you look at that character, and it's like kind of a crazy character. It's crazy. Yeah. Yeah, and there was death involved. Yeah, yeah, of course. And- I, uh, said I would say one thing. I would never play that part because from from two deaths that occurred, uh, that would be it. You know, after Brandon died, I went to the beach. I went to uh, I went to Catalina Island, and I was getting ready for a fight because he his death of his death is our first day of fight training. Chad and my first day of fight training Great. for our first oh, for our first pro fight, oh. and. Uh, I remember after Brandon passed, his picture was on the cover of People magazine. I got it, and I went, I went to Catalina Island for the weekend, and I said a prayer for Brandon, and I went to sleep on the beach, and he came to me in my dream and said, don't worry, Eric, I'm fine. I'm with my dad. And it was so real. I was like, holy crap, that was real. It's yeah. amazing. amazing. Hey. Yeah, I've heard he's with his dad. I mean, that's obviously true. Yeah, yeah, I would imagine so. If there is a, an afterlife for heaven, that's... I mean, that's Of course there is. You're, you are life force energy. You think that your energy just disappears. You're not a light bulb that you just turn off. Your light, all your light does is change shape. I don't know, man. I think it's because I was really Catholic and, and I sort of lost that later on in life. But that, you should believe if you're born Catholic. You yeah. should believe in life. It was drilled into me, and I sort of resisted it as I as I rebelled, as I got older. I guess I don't know. When you're ready, when you're ready, and when it's time, you'll figure it out. Yeah. Why don't you just do do your own research and in your own time? Yeah, yeah, you're probably quite right, my friend. The problem the problem today is not too many people believe in God anymore, and they, their parents didn't teach teach anybody anything they had to do. It doesn't have to be religion, but it has to be with Creator, mm-hmm. Source Creator, who created who created you. Who, Source creator, where did you come from? Mm-hmm. You didn't just come from some loins. You know, you're miraculously created. And so, and you're also given a contract of what you're supposed to do here on earth. What's your contract? What's your life contract? Family, I guess. My son, my wife. That's, those That's, are part, of balance. That's part of your your harmony, your balance. Yeah, you know, sure. Obviously, is create a family, repopulating, leaving a legacy. But what is your legacy? What is your legacy? What are you going to do? What are you going to do? What would make you different? What are you going to do that's going to change the world? Mm-hmm. Help the world. That's what you have to think about. I don't because know. That's, Maybe I I'm that's just selfish. Is my vision too narrow because I kind of go, well, to hell with the world. I'm just living in it. I just look after the, this wee world that I have, which is my family. Well, there's nothing wrong with that at all. There's nothing wrong with just looking after your family. But you also say, well, if, if I was to write your name, John Richard McElroy mm-hmm. on your obituary, and I put an equal sign after it. What would it equal? <laughs> obituary read. Yeah. What did you leave behind? Yeah. I don't know. God, that's a good question. Not a clunker and a, you know, a wife and two kids. Yeah. But what else? What else did you do? I mean, why are you doing a podcast? 
I like uh, I like talking to people. But yeah, inspiring people. So one of your things that you're doing is you're you're aspiring to inspire. Yeah. You aspire through your aspirations. You're inspiring other people by interviewing and getting knowledge and information out of other people. Mm-hmm. That's that's an important thing. Yeah. That's like a journalist. It's a journalist uh, style job. Guess so. I hate journalists though. They're so two faced. Well. It depends. I mean, you're a journalist, or or you could just write about anything that's based on your opinion or political belief. Yeah, I guess it's the freedom that the podcast is such a freedom thing, though. Because like I did work in media and radio for years before I did this, and I'm so glad I got out of that world. Um, well, John, you should you should also branch out and and not just pull up martial artists, but but other people, other aspects of martial arts that you might like. Hmm. Like for instance, grounding. Get someone who's an expert on on uh, meditation and grounding mm-hmm. and the significance of that, you know, and then there's these people that really are into the flat earth theory God. and you could like, yeah, I know, but you could get into the whole argument and discussion because what that does is it makes people think, uh, I'm not trying to make people think, but yes, I am. So you, you make people think <laughs> because there's the, ar- there's the argument or, you know, don't, don't argue religion and don't argue politics, but, but ideas like, uh, you know, time travel, does it exist? Mm-hmm. Does time travel exist? Do we have space programs? Do we have space programs outside? Have we already been to Mars? I mean, how come we can't back to the moon? Have we even been to the moon? That's always the argument. Exactly. exactly. So, I mean, there's there's a lot of things. But again, what does that have to do with the price of fish? <coughs> so, it makes it interesting. It actually will attract more people to your podcast because you're interviewing all these different people from all different realms. And and people that are talking on your podcast shouldn't be talking about themselves so much, but telling stories about about things and people that, that who inspired them and mm-hmm. why they're inspired and and you know what what change or what how, how things change or or you know someone's thought process. Sure. Like get Braulio on your show and ask him about his uh, thought process going into competitions mm-hmm. and then how to spread jujitsu, uh, you know, Roger Gracie's eight time world champion. Why are you so young and he retired? Why would you retire after being so young and retiring jujitsu? Are you going into MMA or is it because you've done the most that you could possibly do in jujitsu and there's nothing better than you can already do. So why keep going? Mm-hmm. That's interesting. Yeah, it is. That's a good question, as well, mate. I've got one more question well, for you before we. Uh, he beat Shasha. He beat Bruchesha, and right after that. He yeah, he just like, called that day, right? He goes, "That's it. I'm done." And Bruchesha had a nervous breakdown. He goes, "One more, one more, one more." And he goes, "No, no, I'm done. That's it. I'm done. I've done the best I can do. I'm done." That's when I would say go into MMA full time. Hmm. Yeah. Or really, you're an eight-time world champion. I mean, he doesn't need to worry about the jiu-jitsu. That's for sure. What's that? I'm saying he can go into MMA full time. He doesn't really need to worry about the jiu-jitsu aspect of it. Whatever, whatever floats your boat. Yeah. I He's also got an unbelievable dad. Mauricio Gomez is a master Mauricio. Unbelievable. Great icon. Uh, else for Elf, this is our last question, sir. Um, it's way off topic, but I'll ask anyway. Do you still speak to Hector Lombard, and is he still mad at Josh Barnett? Uh, first of all, Hector Lombard was just in town here, and he asked uh, my my fight captain if he could, or my fight the guy that runs my fight practice now. His name is Ben Jones. Ben Jones runs fight practice, 
and Hector just asked him if it's okay if he came by, and he said, you could come by anytime. He said hello to me through Ben, and uh, I would hope that him and Josh, the reason he left originally was because of Josh, but uh, I, I don't think that he holds on to that. He's part of a, a fight team still. I, I hope he still fights. I mean, he's he's an animal when he's really focused. Oh, and, yeah. Uh, he's terrifying. Um, uh, you know, it was just strange, that whole situation. The Bardet-Lombard uh, situation. It, all it was was Hector came in to the gym uh, from Dan Henderson's school and, and here's this unbelievable athlete who's a high-level judoka, Olympic-level judoka. And first of all, for me to have an Olympic level, oh, I was sitting like, you know, do this, do this, do this. Uh, here's a here's an armbar from the ground, a spinning armbar. You could hit this on everybody. And for me, it was exciting because I, I got to watch and learn a high-level guy like that. And then the thing we found out is that he actually loved boxing more than judo. Judo. He loved to box. He always wanted to be a pro boxer. And I was like, and he would stand in a front stance and stay in people's faces and slug their faces in. Oh. And I was just like, "Holy crap!" Was that a Cuban yeah. thing? Because they're they're you know that culture uh, and boxing. So. Yeah, I think, I think it is. I think it is because you know boxing's big in Cuba, and so is uh, judo. Right. Uh-huh. Yeah. But uh, anyways, yeah, I think I, I think him and Josh eventually squashed it. But he was upset because Josh took him down and and held him on the ground. And I walked in and I thought Josh was just playing with him. You know how guys get around. Yeah, yeah. Just like get off me. And uh, and then uh, he's like, oh, you like to hurt people. Because Josh, I think, was trying to back up some of the smaller guys that, that uh, Hector had, uh, he beat up. If Hector didn't like the way somebody looked one day, they'd walk in, he goes, I don't like the way that guy looks. Like, yeah, he's a guest, though. He's a guest, so we have to. So I'm going to knock him out. And I was like, oh, God. Please don't knock him out, Hector. <laughs> oh, God. But, but yeah, and then him and Josh had a uh, striking match, a boxing match, and it went from a five-minute round to thirty-five-minute round. Whoa! And and then I, I was just like, okay, I'm just going to let it go because these guys obviously, I mean, first of all, to get a, a good, formidable training partner for Josh that will actually not be afraid and stand in his face oh, yeah. and go toe with him is is nearly impossible to get. And when Hector did that and wanted to do that, I was like, well, have at it because. I need someone like you. <laughs> God, stress. And then, and after their sparring match, uh, he's like, he got a phone call, and this manager talked to him, and all of a sudden he goes, "Yeah, I signed with American Top Team. I'm leaving tomorrow." Oh man! I was like, "Wow!" I go, I, "I never asked you to leave," but the thing is, is I'm, I was gone on the weekends, and uh, Hector lived literally lived at the gym. It looks like he does. Well, yeah, he lived at the gym. I mean, he was at the gym seven, six days a week. Right. And so I was gone on the weekend, so I felt bad because I couldn't hang out with him. And and then some of the guys didn't show up. He goes, nobody's here when you're not here. And I, I felt bad. And, and then when he left, I felt really bad about it. And I was sad because I liked him. I, I didn't – he was a super athlete, loved leg locks, uh, great at judo, great at boxing, and just a – an animal when it came to fighting. 
Remember you know, he beat the piss out of Paul Harris, man. That was the most terrifying Hector I think I've ever seen. Oh, yeah, and then it was him and and then it was him and Bobolo and Josh that all competed against each other in my gym. And it was like war. Every time those guys, those three would get together, it was a full blown war. Because yeah. they were good for it. So yeah, those days those were fun days. Uh, sometimes I'm sad that I don't see those days anymore. But mm-hmm. you know what? Your life changes and you get older and you move on. But I'll always keep those memories. I mean, if I ever want to time travel, all I have to do is close my eyes yeah. and just remember the times that Josh and Bablu and Hector used to beat the crap out of each other. <laughs> I had to sit on the side of the cage and, yeah. and yell. I had to yell because I was always yelling. And it was funny because um, uh, Bablu brought in um, uh, uh, Professor Gordeaux, who's the half-guard guy. You should probably know who he is. Oh, yeah, of course, yeah. Of course you do, because you're a deep half guard. Deep so, half ball sniffer, that's me. <laughs> so, Professor Gordeaux goes to me, he comes up to me, he goes, hey, do you ever get on the mat and roll, or do you just walk around and yell at people all the time? <laughs> and I go, what? And he goes, I've never seen you get on the mat and roll. He goes, but I watch you walk around and yell at people all the time. I go, I'm the head coach here. I go, the second I step on the mat and start rolling, everyone stops and watches. I said, so I don't want to sit here and keep jumping on the floor with people. I go, yeah, of course I do. <laughs> so to prove my point, I jumped on the mat and rolled with a bunch of guys. He pretended like he wasn't watching me, but I think he was. <laughs> I just to prove the fact that I, I do roll, but, you know, I mean, when you're running a practice with 30 guys and there's a chance that a bunch of guys are going to get their noses broke or beat up or knocked out, you have to keep an eye on that, especially when you own the gym. <laughs> yeah, that's a big one. It's a UFC gym where, where guys, this isn't a UFC gym where there's no, you don't worry about a lawsuit. Right. <laughs> you're worried about a lawsuit. This is more good but on. I hope Josh and I hope Hector squashed it. I mean, I got a phone call one night. Mm-hmm. Hector called Josh out you know, after a fight. And Josh called me and goes, guess what? And I go, what? He goes, I'm fighting Hector tonight. And I go, what? I go, how, how could that happen? That's not, that wasn't on the card. He goes, no, street fight. And I go, what? Jesus. He goes, Hector, just call me out. He goes, I, if he wants to fight, I'll fight right now. And I go, okay. Well, I mean, we already know that, that you're willing to do that, but why would you do that? I mean, if you guys want to fight, why don't you just figure it out and get paid to do it? Because a lot of people watch pay a lot of money to watch you guys beat the crap out of each other. Why throw that money away, exactly? Well, especially when you guys are, are, if you guys both hate each other or pissed at each other, those sometimes make some really good heated matches, and people want to watch those. Yeah, you grab the popcorn for those kind of fights, right? I, I, fight, I fight for free when you're a pro fighter. <laughs> I mean, I understand, I understand. Somebody calls you out, understandably. You know, and I was the same way. I had a guy told me that I was afraid to fight him, and the reason I never fought him because I was afraid to fight him, and I said, well, that's kind of weird because I'll fight you right now. Let's go. Mm-hmm. And the guy goes, no, 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 no. He goes, well, I, I want to fight you uh, in, in the ring in Japan. And, and I was a contender. And I, I go, well, we can fight right now. Let's just fight right now. We'll get it over with. Well, when you're a pro fighter, you know, you don't care. You're a fighter. You, you fight every day. You spar every day. You get punched in the face all the time. You know, what's, what's another day at the office? That's it. What a way to make a living, my friend. We'll end on that note, I guess. Eric, it's been an absolute pleasure to have you on in the podcast, sir. I really appreciate you giving me your time and 
Tonya. Thank you. I can't wait to uh, be back there in. I'll be back there in December. In Scotland, uh, my neck of the woods. Yep. Oh, I can I do. Um, we do a mixture of ghee, uh, catch wrestling, uh, and MMA. And then STX kickboxing also. I can't wait. I'll, I'll definitely be there. But yeah, huge thank you. I just want to give you the floor here, Eric, um, to announce or promote your work, your schools, your seminars, websites, anything you like. The the floor is yours, my friend. Thank you. Um, check out CSW Training Center or uh, ericpaulson.com. We have the CSW Association and we have affiliates all over the world. And what it entails is a mixture of four programs. One is a Nogi program, one to 10, levels one to 10. Second is the STX kickboxing program, one to five, levels one to five. And then we have a Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu curriculum that we actually filmed. It's white. It's all the way up to brown belt. And then after brown belt, it's pretty much... There's a curriculum all the way up to brown belt, and then and then brown to black is pretty much the teacher's choice of who's ready to be promoted and what, how much information, and how good they are. And then uh, the last is the MMA program, and we're filming that in September. Uh, no, August. We're filming that in August. So so our MMA curriculum will be up and rolling and, and running by that time. So uh, if you get a chance, just uh, ericpulse.com. Uh, we also have other projects and things that we're working on. I have a combat athletics program. It's actually uh, probably a two or three DVD set coming out, and it's based on gymnastics for martial athletes. Oh. And it's it's all it's all gymnastics exercises, stretching, strength, strength and conditioning, and then and then uh, it's got fast feed exercises for fight practice. It's got some a little bit of pad work and. Uh, got a good mixture of stuff that people can implement into their into their stuff uh and the gymnastics is good for definitely 100 good for grab yeah gsp's into that right he's a big proponent of the of the gymnastics yeah. For mixed martial arts. yeah i was doing the same thing i was a gymnast so for me right. i brought gymnastics back to my fighters and i hired my coach and the coach that i brought in is the one that i actually just filmed his name That's is sam eric all the very best now see you in december when you're here or nick of the woods my friend one take jake <laughs> Thanks very much for it. You take care. Thank you. All the best. Alright, God bless you. Unboxing Fanatics, it's finally here. The brand new Samsung Galaxy S10 with a screen that wraps from edge to edge. At Tesco Mobile, it's yours for the low monthly price of $39.99 with no additional upfront costs. And it comes with a generous 5 gigs of data. So go in store or online now. Tesco Mobile. Every little helps. 36-month credit agreement, 24-month usage agreement with Tesco Mobile Limited. Subject to status, phase, policy applies. See tescomobile.com slash terms. Every day is different when you work in social care. Like the other day, Sally and I were making spaghetti bolognese. <laughs> she wasn't happy with the sauce, so she mixed in some herbs and suddenly she adds fresh chilli. Never would have thought of that myself, but turned out to be the best I've ever tasted. That's why I love this job. It's not just that supporting Sally makes every day different, but every day makes a difference to both of us. To find out more about all the rewarding roles in adult social care, go to everydayisdifferent.com. Sports Social Podcast Network.
Lucky Land Casino asking people what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kids' PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.